Hi, this is the official podcast of Riverside International Church in Lisbon. Riverside is an international, contemporary, caring, and Christ-centered community. Our vision is to significantly impact the country of Portugal and the regions beyond with the gospel. Thank you for listening to us, and we hope that your life will be impacted by these teachings. God bless. So good to see a full house, so good to see so many of you. Um, I'm excited to bring the word this morning. Uh, probably, uh, who tasted the French toast this morning? Yeah? Okay, we can give another round of applause to Prerna for that. One of my favorite things about church here is that we have the space upstairs and we're able to have breakfast together. We're able to have, um, have French toast and pancakes. And we have Misha over here. Misha will make sure that you get coffee. He's, he's, our, he's our coffee guy. He's tall. You can spot him. Um, but Misha is like our Sunday version of a guy named Heidi. Now, Heidi is a friend of ours. If, if you're here at the project during the week, you'll know who Heidi is. He's a friend from Iraq. Uh, just a side note, he's half blind and half deaf. Um, but he comes to the project, and he's one of the most generous, kind-hearted people that you will meet at the project. He's always willing to serve. And the thing about Heidi is that he's our coffee man. And so when I come to the project, I'm the kind of person that when I come, I, I come around 10, I start working, and once I sit down in that chair, I forget about lunch, I forget about everything else, and I'm just working. And so I kind of look forward to the moment that around 2, 3 o'clock, Heidi's going to arrive, and the first thing he's going to do is he's going to go, Jibby, Jibby, and that's my name for Heidi. Um, not Gabby, it's Jibby. I'm probably saying his name wrong too, so we're good. Um, <laughs> but he says, Jibby, Jibby, cafe, cafe, and I'm just like, yes. And there's two reasons why I look forward to that coffee. One is because if you are here at the Lisbon Project throughout the week, you will know that the project is extremely freezing cold. And so that coffee is going to warm me up. Number two, it's around 2, 3 o'clock, and probably that night Jade has kept me awake for one reason or another. And so I need that extra boost right about, right about now. So there's those two reasons. And as I think it was Tuesday that um, Heidi kindfully and, and generously brought over my coffee. And he's bringing it over to me, and I'm excited, and he's, he's excited that he can be useful. And so he's bringing me my coffee, and I'm about to take that sip. I think Joe Day was sitting next to me. And I take that first sip, and this coffee, I didn't know, and Heidi didn't know that the coffee machine was broken. And so this coffee that I think is going to be so hot and nice is actually just, like, cold and gross. <laughs> and so out of politeness... I just kind of tried to drink it, but I couldn't. I couldn't finish it. And Jodé was like, you're not going to finish it? No, I can't. It's not good. <laughs> um, and there's something disappointing about that, right? There's something disappointing about when you think you're going you're gonna to have something. You think something's going to serve a purpose, and it doesn't. There's something sad about that. And I was just telling um, Doris this morning, who celebrated Valentine's Day? Some hands. There you go. <laughs> Even if you didn't celebrate, you gave your Valentine a hug, you gave him or her a kiss, um, and, and just kind of said, I love you. And we don't celebrate, um, we don't celebrate Valentine's, but I had very directly hinted at Ruben that he hadn't bought me a perfume in two years, and so somehow he found time, and on Friday morning, he comes to bed with a big box, and he says, happy Valentine's Day, so you can give a round of applause to Ruben. <laughs> 
And so he buys me this perfume. But the thing is, I had hinted at the fact that he hadn't bought me a perfume, but I didn't say which perfume I wanted. I just kind of, <laughs> that's too much, right? You got to have some element of surprise. And so he buys me this perfume, but he says, you can't open it. You can only open this envelope because the lady made me promise that if you don't like it, that I wouldn't open it and we'd return it unopened. And so he had this paper in this envelope and he says, smell this. And if you like it, you can open it. And so I open the envelope and I smell the paper, except I've had a cold all week. And so I smell it and I'm like, I can't smell a thing. I, <laughs> this doesn't smell like, you can't smell it. It smells so much. No, baby, it'll be fine. No, don't open the box. But I want to open the box. Anyway, I opened the box. Eventually, I smelled the perfume. But the gift was pointless, right? If I can't, s it was a good perfume. Yes, yes. <laughs> it was a really lovely perfume. Um, but I couldn't smell it. And if you can't smell a perfume, a perfume is useless because the whole point of a perfume is that it brings a nice scent. And the point that I'm trying to make here is that everything has a purpose, right? Everything has an intention behind it. And whatever it is in our lives, whether it's this light or whether it's decorations that we put up, whatever it is that we have, there's a purpose behind it. It's meant to serve a use. And it, it's crazy to me how people understand this concept that everything has a purpose, everything has a use, and yet for their own lives, so many people live throughout life not ever questioning what their purpose is. Not ever questioning, why am I here on earth? Who made me and what's the point of me being here? And not only do they, some people not question their purpose, but when they do question their purpose, it's amazing to me how they try to find the purpose. See, the thing about something that's created is creation doesn't determine its own purpose. The creator determines the purpose of that which he creates, right? And so it's amazing to me that when people are trying to find their purpose, that they go to Bali and to Thailand and, and they go travel all over the world trying to find themselves. And yet, to find yourself, the Bible tells us that we have a creator. The Bible tells us that, that we were created with a purpose, that we were created with a very beautiful and powerful intention and that God wants to use us. There's a purpose. And so as we go into today's letter, and it's the last letter, some of you are like, yes, finally. The last letter of the series that we're doing is the series called Dear Church. And this, this message title is You Have a Purpose. And it's the, the letter that Jesus writes to a church called Laodicea. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but that's how we're going to choose to do it today. Church in Laodicea. And all that Jesus is trying to tell this church and what I believe Jesus is trying to tell us today and if you don't leave here with anything else, I pray that you will leave with a strong notion that you have a purpose. And so Jesus begins his letter to the church again with an introduction. He always introduces himself before he goes into it. And the first thing that Jesus wants to say to the church is that you have a creator. You have a source. You have a beginning. And so let's read the first verse of the letter to Laodicea. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So Jesus says, right, I'm the one that's speaking to you. I am the Amen. And Amen simply means so be it or it is done. And so when you come to church and we all say Amen at the end of a prayer, we're saying that in the conviction of faith that in God 
it is done. That so be it. In the power of Jesus, so be it. Amen. But here Jesus says, I am the amen. And so when Jesus says it, he's not saying it in the conviction of faith. He's saying it in the conviction of who he is. Through me, it is done. I am the amen. And then he says, he says that he is faithful and that he is true. And then he says, I am the beginning of the creation of God. And the idea of the word beginning here, if you go to the ancient Greek and the origin, the idea is not necessarily the beginning in, as in first and sequential order. Beginning is referring to the source, to the origin, that Jesus is the ruler. He is the source and beginning of all creation. In Colossians, we read in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have, be, have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And so we're not only created by Jesus, we're not only created through him and by him, we're created for him. We have a purpose. There is an intention between our, our, us being created. We're created for him. We read in Isaiah chapter 43, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And so you have a purpose. You were created for God, not only for God, you were created for God's glory. And so we have to ask ourselves a basic question, what in the world is God's glory? We sing that in our songs and we say it in our prayers, what is God's glory? And throughout the years and, and throughout studying the 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 most simple way that I've come to understand what God's glory is, God's glory means the invisible qualities of God made visible. That's what it means. God's invisible qualities, this supernatural, this amazing God, creator, alpha and omega, this God that is beyond our imagination, it's his invisible qualities made visible. And so when his invisible qualities are made visible, Jesus is the glory of God in that he reveals the character of God the most. This is what the Bible says in John. Verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then you skip down to verse 14, talking about Jesus, and it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He came to earth, and he, and he lived with us, and he, he communed with us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And so there's a correlation between seeing and the glory of God. If you want to know who God is, then you just need to see Jesus. You just need to look at, at the words that he said and the actions that he did and the way that he lived his life because he reveals who the Father is. In Hebrews chapter 1, there you go, it says that the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Jesus reveals who God is. He makes the invisible qualities of God visible for us to see. That's why at the cross, the cross is a glorious thing. Because you can see God's love. You can see God's justice. You can see God's compassion. You can see God's selflessness all in the cross. It is the exact representation of the Father. And so if that's our purpose, we're created for the glory of God. 
We're meant to live lives that glorify God. How do we do that? Well, the way that we glorify God is by bearing the image of Christ. It's by imitating Christ in our day-to-day lives. It's by proclaiming the gospel to the world so that when other people see you, they don't just see you. They see God in you. That is what it means to glorify God. We're defined by the gospel. We live by the gospel. We spread the gospel. There's nothing more beautiful than someone being attracted to God because of the way they've seen a friend or a family member live. This past week, my, my dad was, was speaking to someone that asked to see him, and this person just wanted to know about Jesus. Pastor Eddie, tell me, tell me about this Jesus. I want to know who he is. And, and my dad, before he got into the conversation, he said, well, well why the sudden interest in Jesus? Why do you want to know about Jesus? And this person replied, well, because I have this friend and she goes to your church and there's just something special about her. The way that she lives her life and her decisions and the way that she relates to other people and the way that she's always serving, there's just something special about her and it's got to be Jesus and I want to know who he is because if he can do the same thing for me, wow. There's nothing more beautiful than that. That is glorifying God. That others would see Jesus in you. That others would see the way that you live your life. And they would say, man, if you're going to church, take me to your church. If you're reading the Bible, then show me this Bible so that I can know the God who lives inside of you. That's what it means to glorify God. That when we go to work, we bring this excellence in the way that we work. That when we have our friendships, that we bring this loyalty and this faithfulness and this this care in the way that we relate to our friends, that there's something about our personality, there's something about our patience, there's something about our generosity, there's something about our kindness, there's something about our attention to people's feelings, there's something about our leadership that people say, wow, the invisible qualities of God made visible through you. That's what it means to glorify God. And this week I I woke up at 4 a.m. one night, and Reuben and I had, had had a conversation before we went to bed that night, because up till now, we'd made this deal, right? Jade is seven months, and up till now, we've made a deal that he didn't need to wake up since she was born, because I could feed her, and I could kind of handle her at night, and so you don't need to wake up. I'll just deal with it, but Jade now is starting to drink more bottled milk and so I kind of approached Ruben and I said well I think we need to rethink this deal because (laughs) because now you can feed her and and take the bottle and put her back to sleep and so he he says that he didn't he didn't quite agree to that but for me silence is consent and so so we're good and so we woke I woke up at four in the morning that night with Jade crying and I'm thinking about this deal that we made. And so I'm trying to get Ruben's intention. And basically what my mind thought it was saying was, go to Jade. She's crying. Go do something. Um, but I remember feeling frustrated of like, what I'm saying isn't exactly what I'm thinking. And I can't say what I'm trying to say because I'm half asleep. Um, and eventually he just got up and I went back to sleep. And the next morning, what Ruben told me I was actually saying was I kind of I sat up in the bed And I just said, impact, create impact. How to create impact in community. (laughs) And so that might be a sign of like overworking, but but the reality is that much of my day, much of my day to day at the Lisbon Project and leading the church, the reality is that much of my time is spent asking this question, how do we create more impact? 
How can we run the Lisbon Project organization in a way that creates more impact in the lives of people? How can I lead my team in a way that is, that is better so that they can lead their teams in a way that is more impactful so that the beneficiaries that are coming through the Lisbon Project have better access to jobs and to healthcare and to community and a feeling of belonging? How do we create more impact? In the church, Ruben and I are always asking, how can we create more impact as a church? And I don't know if you've noticed this, Big screen TVs are pretty big, so they're hard to miss. <laughs> but we've just bought these, these big screen TVs, not because we really care about having big screen TVs, but because now the lyrics are actually big, bigger and you should have more access to read the lyrics and the verses that we put up. And because you can read the lyrics, that means you can internalize the lyrics better. And as you internalize the lyrics better, you're impacted. And your relationship with God is impacted. Because the reality is, as Christians, we should be making impact wherever we go. As Christians, it is our purpose to create impact that wherever we go, there cannot be indifference to our faith. There cannot be apathy to our faith. There cannot be an, an ignorance about our faith. Wherever we go, we're meant to create impact and influence in the lives of others so that people may be affected by our love. People may be affected by our character and our godliness. See, when Jesus is speaking to the church in Laodicea, he's not speaking to non-Christians. It's important to understand this. Jesus is speaking to the church, to Christians, or people who call themselves Christians in the church. And these are people that, that supposedly get it. These are people that supposedly understand their purpose. The great commission that Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do what I have commanded. These are people that understood their purpose, supposedly. And yet, after reminding them of who he is, that he is the amen, that he is the source, he is the origin, he is the one who has given them meaning, this is what Jesus says to the church in Laodicea. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. See, we often interpret this verse as Christians, and, and I've made the same mistake, and we interpret it to mean that Jesus is saying you're neither cold nor hot, to mean that he's saying, I wish you were hot, I, I wish you were more passionate, and if, you, and if you're not going to be passionate, then just reject me altogether and be cold. But if we read the context of the scripture and we understand what Jesus is actually saying, he's not really referring to them being passionate or, or rejecting him. He's speaking about purpose and utility in the kingdom of God. He's using their geography and something that was very real to them in their day-to-days to drive home a point he wants to make. You see, Laodicea was an extremely wealthy city. There we're going to see kind of where it, was, um, where it was located. But it was, a, it was a center of banking, of science, of fashion. They had a medical school, a very famous medical school that specialized in ophthalmology. And so they, they, they produced some sort of like special eye ointment. And people came from all over, the, all over the, the ancient world to come and get treatment for their eyes. 
And they also produce some a special kind of black wool. I didn't study this too much. I don't know why the sheep had this black or purple wool, but you can look into it if you want to, if you're into that kind of thing. But they were able to produce this, this dark wool, and, and it generated tons of revenue for the city. It was, it was a hub of commercial um, trade. It was a wealthy city, is basically what I'm trying to say. <laughs> It was so wealthy that in 60 AD, they had an earthquake. They experienced an earthquake, and, and their infrastructure was completely shattered. And usually when a natural disaster like this happens, the government will step in with some sort of financial assistance, right? That's what happens in today's world, and that's what happened back, there, back then. And so Rome steps in and says, and says, we'll send you some supplies. We'll send you some financial assistance to rebuild yourself. Um, but they were so rich and wealthy that they... They said, no, we got it. We'll do it on our own. And we have Tacitus. He's a Roman historian, and this is what he wrote. Laodicea arose from the ruins by the strength of her own resources and with no help from us. They were wealthy, wealthy enough to rebuild themselves, to say no to Rome and do it on their own. They had everything going for them. And yet, while it appeared that they had everything, Laodicea as a city lacked one of the most basic resources. It lacked water. It didn't have a water supply. And so this is where it's important to understand the geography. We have Laodicea, and if you go 10 kilometers to the north, you have a place called Hierapolis. A Hierapolis was known for its hot water springs. It was like the Roman spa of the time. Who's been to hot water springs? Whoa, loads of you. I, I've been, but I was like 12, so I don't think I, I enjoyed it as much as I could have. Um, but wa hot water springs are amazing, right? They're, they're, they're so comfortable to be in, and it's a nice place to be. And people in, in that time, they would go because they believed that it had healing substances. And so people would come all, all from all over for its healing powers. And as I was uh, preparing this message, because I, I don't have a recollection of what hot water springs feel like, all I can compare it to are jacuzzis and hot tubs, right? <laughs> um, and so I remembered Ruben and I about a year ago or something, we, uh, we decided that we needed to treat ourselves, and so on Saturday, we went to the Sheraton in Kashkaj. I think it was the Sheraton, and, and we paid for this one-day pass, and it was really cheap. It was actually just 10 euros each. We should have known by the price, um, but it was 10 euros each, and we're like, great, let's go to the Sheraton and go to their spa, and it was like those water, um, water spas with, like, the pools and everything, and so... We get in, we get our robes, and, and we go into this spa, and we're the only ones, amazing, nobody else here, it's just the two of us, this is great. And so we, uh, we get into the pool, and it's these pools with like the jets for your back and all the different kind of massage options. And so we step into the pool, go, Ruben goes first, I go in, and I'm going in, and I'm going in, and I soon realize that this pool is not made for short people like me, because the water comes up to like here, and I'm like, well, maybe, maybe this is how it's meant to be. And so I click the button for the jet. And next thing, I'm like drowning because <laughs> I'm like, this is too, too tall for me. And so this isn't working out. This is not relaxing whatsoever. And so I'm like, forget this. Ruben, you can enjoy your tall people pool. And I'm going to go over here to the jacuzzi. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to this. This is our spa day. This is our treat, right? And so I walk in, walk over to the jacuzzi. It's going to be warm. It's going to be nice. And I, and I step in. And this thing is like freezing cold. 
And so I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting fed up with this. And so I put my robe on and I go to the reception and I'm like, hey, excuse me, your jacuzzi is broken. Can you send somebody to fix it? And will it be like warm by the time that I leave? And, and she kind of turns to me and is like, that's not a jacuzzi. <laughs> And so to this day, I have no clue what that is. I have no clue what that hot tub looking thing is. But the reality is that it did not serve the purpose that I wanted. It wasn't warm. But Hierapolis, Hierapolis was an amazing place. Hierapolis had hot water springs and, and people loved to be there. And then if you went 15 kilometers to the east of Laodicea, you had a place called Colossae. And Colossae was the city that Paul wrote to when he, when he wrote Colossians. And so as you see the geography, as you study the word, you start to see how everything is kind of interlinked. And it's, it's amazing to, to know more. Um, but Colossae was known for its freshwater springs. And it had amazing fresh water that people would come from all over because this fresh water was, was like drinking health into your body. And I don't know if you've ever been hiking in the mountains, but, but it's amazing when you see this like just fresh water drizzling down in a fountain and you put your water bottle in, it's, oh, it's so nice. And so in Hierapolis, you had hot water springs. In Colossae, you had fresh water springs. And in Laodicea, you had nothing. And so the way that they would do it back then is, is Laodicea, because they're smart and they're resourceful, they built these aqueducts. And so they would pipe in the water. But the problem with that is that by the time that the water arrived, it was lukewarm, and it caught so much minerals and sediment on the way that, that as they would try to drink it, they would literally want to vomit. They would literally want to spit it out because it had no use. And so as Jesus is speaking to the church in Laodicea, he says, I wish you would be hot. I wish you would be useful. I wish that in your Christianity, in the way that you lived your life, that people would be attracted to you because of the way that you bring comfort, because of the way that you bring healing, because there's something about you that people want to come from all over because they want to be around you, because there's a passion about you, there's a drive about you, there's a purpose-driven life about you, and you attract people. But if you're not hot, I wish that you would be cold. I wish that people would be so attracted to you because you're so fresh. You don't live like everybody else, and you're, you don't have this go with the flow herd mentality you live based on the decisions that are founded in the scripture because you have conviction and you have this morality that is fresh and it's attracting I wish you would be cold I wish you would be useful but whatever you do don't be lukewarm don't live this lukewarm kind of Christianity because it it serves no use to anybody it's not useful it's not serving the purpose that I intended. It's not glorifying me. And because it's not glorifying me, because it's not reflecting anything about me, then it's just lukewarm and it's not pleasing to me. And it literally makes me want to spit you out. And it's crazy that Jesus is saying this to this church, to this church in Laodicea. I mean, members of this church were probably active members of the community. They were probably in the medical school. They were merchants. They were business owners trading that, that special wool. They were intelligent. They were contributing to society. And maybe you have a good job. Maybe you have a nice family. Maybe you've traveled the world, and, and it seems like you've lived a good life. But here's, here's the crux of the matter. As Christians, we're not called just to live a nice life. The Christians in Laodicea weren't called just to live a nice, comfortable life. Christians are called to live a life of impact. 
Christians are called to live a life of influence, that wherever we go, we have this ripple effect in the lives around us. So Jesus was talking to his disciples one day, and he's addressing this issue, this issue of self-sufficiency and kind of just coasting through life, easily getting comfortable and not really being hot or cold, just kind of lukewarm. And he's trying to explain our purpose in him. He's trying to remind them of of his intentionality in creating them and and what life is meant to be about, that it's meant to be about so much more than what we so often make it. And, And this is what Jesus says to his disciples. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one, is on, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. He says on the day when it's all said and done, you're not going to be going back to get all the money you saved. You're not going to be going back to see the cars that you were able to buy. You're not going to be going back to get the photo frames of the family trips that you took. When it's all said and done, it's not about that. And and I want to make it clear that there's absolutely nothing wrong with wealth. The Laodiceans in this church were wealthy. They were probably rich people. And there's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with being ambitious and trying to achieve goals for you and for your family. But there is something wrong with self-reliance and shifting your focus from the kingdom to material things. There is something wrong with getting comfortable in your Christianity, complacent about your purpose. Coming to church on, on Sundays and worshiping God on Sundays and being with your church friends on Sundays. But then through the, throughout the week, you kind of just coast You kind of just get comfortable. And people at work and people in your neighborhood, they may think that you're a nice person, but they have no idea because there's nothing about you that says that you have the power of the living God living inside of you. There's something wrong with that. And so Jesus says, some of you spend so much time worrying about self-care and about your daily routines. And and some of you spend so much time investing in your career and and putting in extra hours so that you can get more partners and get more clients. And through more clients, you get more money. and, And you've completely forgotten to glorify God in the process. You've completely forgotten that your purpose is about so much more. And so my question to you is, how are people seeing Jesus in you? Wherever that is, in your school, your university, your work, your neighborhood, even in your church, how are people seeing Jesus in you? How are you genuinely worshiping God in your day-to-day? He says if you try to save your life, if you're constantly focused on yourself, if you're living life for yourself, then you're going to lose it. It's going to be over before you know it, and you've never really understood the point of it all. But he says if you're willing to lose your life, If you're willing to let go and let me work through you and let me be the focus and let me be your aim and your objective and if you live your life to please me, oh man, then you will live an abundant life. Then you'll understand and you'll you'll live your purpose-driven life. And so the church in Laodicea, they got comfortable. All their material needs were met. Everything they actually needed, they had. And again, there's nothing wrong with health and there's nothing wrong with wealth. They're amazing things. They're great things. I want those things. But man, they can be distracting. And the church in Laodicea, they had gotten distracted with how good their lives seemed, that they were completely blind 
to how far they had gotten from God. And so in Revelations 3, 17 through 18, Jesus continues and he tells them, you say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus uses imagery after it. He says, that I counsel you to buy gold and white clothes and salve to put on your eyes. He uses imagery that they would understand in their day-to-day to explain the severity of their condition. They had to understand their need for Christ. See, as long as we believe that we're self-sufficient, as long as we believe that we don't need anything, and, and in the West, this is a huge problem because our, our, our standard of, of living is more elevated than in a lot of places in the world. And so as long as we believe that we're self-sufficient and that we can, we can figure it out on our, on our own and that we can put food on the table and, and that we're, our, all our needs are met, then we'll never be able to receive from Jesus. We'll never be able to see our need from, for Jesus. And so Jesus begins by showing them their spiritual poverty. This contrast between how they saw themselves and how Jesus saw them is, is incredible to me. See, the church in Smyrna, we, we did that letter a couple weeks ago. The church in Smyrna, they thought they were so poor with such little resources, with little in number. And Jesus calls them rich. He says, wow, the way that you've been faithful the way that you've produced fruit and impact in the lives of others. And now this church in Laodicea, they thought they're so wealthy. And Jesus looks at them and says, you're so poor. You're so blind. You don't understand that you're just kind of living this comfortable life, but you're not creating impact. You're not glorifying me. How does Jesus see us? How does Jesus see you? And, and, and here's a question for you today. If Jesus was going to answer all of your prayers today, just the way that you want them, in the timings that you wanted, if Jesus was to answer all of your prayers, would anybody other than yourself be affected? Or are you so focused on you and your family and your goals and your career and your own desires and your dreams that, that you've forgotten that the point of it all is to glorify God that other people may see God in you, be attracted to him, and that they may too live an abundant life, that they may too have salvation and life eternal. And so what follows in this letter is one of the most beautiful invitations that we will ever receive. Jesus, who is the word in the beginning, Jesus, who through him all things were created and for him all things were created, who is the origin, who is the omnipotent God, the God who purposed such powerful and beautiful and miraculous things in your lives, this Jesus has limited himself to stand at the door of your heart until you let him in. This is what he says at the end of the letter. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. This meal that Jesus is referring to, it reveals the intimate kind of relationship that Jesus wants to have with us. He wants to live in and through us. He wants our relationship to be evident in the way that we live our lives. He wants to commune with us. He wants to spend time with us. And as we spend time with him, his character starts to change our character. And the way that he loves us, it starts to affect the way that we love others. 
And the way that God cares for us, it starts to create transformation in our lives. And that transformation inevitably starts to create a difference around us and in the world around us. Jesus wants to live in and through you so that you may live a life of impact for his glory. But Jesus will never impose himself. Jesus will never barge into your heart. He'll never come in uninvited. He stands at the door and knocks at the end of every letter. At the end, after Jesus commends us, encourages us, after he he gives us constructive criticism and he says, this is the way you're living, but this is the way that you should live. This is the way that I want you to live. This is how Jesus ends every letter. He simply says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He just stands at the door of your heart and knocks until you let him in, until you decide that you want to live a life completely surrendered to him. Will you open your heart to him this morning? Are you willing to be honest? Are you willing to ask God, how do you see me? Not how do I see myself, but how do you see me? What are you living for? What consumes your heart? What consumes your thoughts? When you wake up in the morning, what are your goals for the day? When you think of 2020, you think of this year and the things you want to achieve. What kind of impact do those things have? What kind of value, eternal value do those things have? What's your purpose? Why are you here? Who are you trying to please? What's the end goal for you? See, in Acts chapter 13, there's this incredible verse. It's talking about King David. And and if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you will know that King David was an amazing person, but just imperfect like you and I. He made his mistakes. He had his problems. And this is what Acts chapter 13 says about him. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he died. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. Wow. It says that he served God's purpose in his generation. His body decayed just like all our bodies will decay. It's how it's going to go down for all of us. But it says that David served God's purpose in his own generation. Man, I wish and I hope and I pray that when I die, that people will say of me that I served God's purpose in my own generation. Are you serving God's purpose in your generation? Are you using the gifts and the talents that God has given you to reveal his invisible qualities to the world so that they may be attracted not to you, but attracted to God in you? God, the creator. God who loves us so deeply, so immensely, who cares so much. As as Jody was saying, it's one thing to believe there's a creator. It's another thing to believe that the creator cares. Are you living your life in a way that people know that he cares? Are you useful in the kingdom of God or are you just another person coasting through life, focused on the things that have no eternal value? See, sometimes I feel like some Christians are living their relationship with God through aqueducts, just like the church in Laodicea. Instead of reading their word, they have podcasts about the word. 
Instead of worshiping God and coming to God in the morning, they have their playlists on Spotify with other people worshiping God. And and instead of praying and coming to God in fervent prayer, they're maybe texting people and saying, will you just pray for me? And so their relationship with God is, is coming through aqueducts. And by the time that it arrives, by the time that it's meant to create transformation and have an impact in their lives, it's just kind of lukewarm and does nothing. What kind of Christianity are you living? What kind of relationship with God are you living? I want to challenge you this morning. Do people know that you're a Christian in your workplace? Do people know that you're a Christian in your university? Do people know about your faith? The people that you relate to on a day-to-day, the people that that you have to make decisions with, the people that that see you just in your day-to-day routine, do they know that you're a Christian? And I know that in the West especially, we have what we call relational evangelism. And and there's something something beautiful about that. We don't just kind of shove the gospel in people's faces. We create relationship, and through that relationship, we hope that people see God in us. But do people see God in you? Through the decisions that you make, like that other girl that came to my dad's office, are other people coming to my dad's office because of you? Are other people stepping into this church because of you? Because there's something so attractive about the way that you've lived the gospel that they need to know more, that they need to know this creator Are you speaking to people about what God has done in your life? Are you speaking to people about the cross and the power of the cross and how if they look at Jesus, when they don't understand who God is, when they don't know who he is, when when they have no idea how to reach him, are you telling them just look at Jesus because he is the manifestation of God. He's the exact representation of God. Just open your Bible, read the word, look at Jesus, see his words, see his actions, you'll find God. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, just as I close. And I'd ask the worship team to come up. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of telling people I'm a Christian. I'm not ashamed of the decisions that I make based on the word of God. I'm not ashamed that it may look weird to others. I'm not ashamed that they might not understand. I'm not ashamed because this is the power to bring salvation. God is the one that gives purpose. God is the one that gives meaning. I'm not ashamed of my creator. He's the one that created me. He's the one that through him all things hold together. How could I be ashamed of him? And so you have to ask yourself some questions this morning. And as we worship, I want to give you that time. Have you opened the door to your heart? When Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, have you opened the door so that he can come in? Because one thing is just coming to church. One thing is calling yourself a Christian and having a label on yourself. Another thing is really having a relationship with Jesus. Do you have a relationship with him that is evident in all the days of your life? And yes, we're going to make some mistakes. David made some big mistakes. It's not about living a perfect life. It's about living a life that fears God. That even when we make mistakes, even then, even in our failure, people can see the grace and the mercy of God. 
people can see the patience of God. People can see how Jamil was saying earlier, this God, this incredible God, he chooses to use me. He chooses to use me even in my imperfections. He chooses me to glorify him, to speak about him. It's not about being perfect. It's about saying yes to God. Change me, mold me, shape me. That in my words, people may see you. That in my prayer, people may see you. That in my work, people may see you. That in the way that I, that I lead others, in my job, people may see you. That in the way that I relate to my family, in the way that I serve my family, that others may see you. In the way that my family serves you together, that others may see you. That in the way that I have peace, even when everything's going wrong, even when circumstances are hard and are difficult, in the way that I have peace in you, that others may see you. In the way that I believe for big things, that others may see you. That when everybody's kind of just limited by the circumstances, I have faith to believe for the impossible, that others may see you in that faith. And it doesn't matter if you're young or old in this room today. God wants to use you. God wants to create impact through you. It doesn't matter how many years you've lived or how many places you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter. Today, God stands at the door of your heart and he knocks and he says, come on, let me in because together we can do great things. Together we can change a lot of lives. Together we can bring a comfort to a lot of lives. We can bring healing to a lot of lives. We can bring purpose to a lot of lives. Just let me in and trust me because I want to use you. Let's worship God together. We hope that God has touched your heart with the message that he wants to tell us. If you would like to be updated with the things that are happening in our church, you will follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Riverside Lisbon. Thank you for listening.